0: Welcome to Coming Home Well. I'm your host, Tyler Piron, and today I have a couple, I have two different guests. It's Art and Lee Beltrone, and they're here to talk about the Vietnam Graffiti Project, which is a traveling exhibit that's going around the world. It's been around the entire country and it's getting ready to stop. Uh, they're getting ready to mothball it, but they have a fantastic story that they really wanna share with everyone because not everyone has been able to see the exhibit and you'd think Vietnam Graffiti would be in, in Vietnam, but it's not. It's from a troop ship taking people to Vietnam way back in the 60s and 70s. So welcome Art and Lee. Welcome, how are you? Nice Doing to see well. you. Doing well, thank you so much for joining us and coming home well soon as I heard about the Vietnam Graffiti Project, I'm like, oh, graffiti. I mean, that's as old as time, as long as we've had soldiers, we've had soldiers doing graffiti. I mean, they found it with the Romans and way back before millennia. What got you interested in the graffiti project?
1: Well, I happened to be asked uh, to work on the film, The Thin Red Line by the production designer. I was helping him with the weapons, the equipment and the uniforms to make everything was right for the film. And uh, he, he's a local uh, Charlottesville, nat- not a native, but he lives in Charlottesville, Jack Fisk. Uh, and he found a troop ship in Virginia's ghost fleet that was still set up with everything on it when it was used. And his goal was to videotape the architectural details for the film so that he could create an accurate set. I was finished with my role with the weapons, the equipment, and the uniforms, but he just happened to ask me, do you want to see a ship and help me carry some film gear? So I readily accepted. We were, went to the James River Reserve Fleet, were led out to a ship in the fleet. There were 130 ships there in the river. This was the General Nelson M. Walker. It was a P-2 class troop ship, over 600 feet long, could carry 5,000 troops. And when we were led into it, so the filming could begin just to go uh, to war. And this is a World War II ship that was used in World War II. And I thought, wow, these birthing units were on there since World War II. But on the underside of the canvas was all this incredible graffiti with 1960s dates. So it was young kids going to war. And in doing the research, it turns out the ship was used in World War II, Korea, and in two years in in the Vietnam War, and then put up in the James River Reserve Fleet because it was no longer needed.
0: So you weren't even going to start a new project. You were just really a pack mule for your friend and to go check out this troop ship that had been sitting there for years and years. Like how long had the troop ship been sitting at the James River uh, Maritime Facility?
1: Uh, After its uh, use uh, during the Korean War, it did some other voyages, taking in troops to various parts of the world and it was laid up in um, uh, the James River. That would have been about 1953.
0: So it was sitting there for a while and then it got, I guess, refurbished for use during Vietnam, I guess with new canvas and uh, put back into action as a troop ship. Now for the That was
1: 1965, that was 1965. So in 1965,
0: it was refurbished, refreshed, got ready to go back in action.
1: Yeah, served in Vietnam, then was brought back to the fleet in 1970. And then so we found it in 1999. That's when we were on it, 30 years later.
0: So you go to this ship, he's filming and trying to get an idea of what the troop ships were like for a different movie, and he just wants to make sure everything's accurate, and he asked you to come along, and you go start looking around and you find all this graffiti on the ship.
1: Exactly. And I came home, I, I was so, you know, surprised and, and mesmerized with what I had seen. And I talked to Lee, whose brother was in Vietnam, did a couple of tours. And I said, you're not going to believe what what I saw on the ship. And I said, we were told the ship was going to be scrapped at some point when Jack Fisk and I were on it. And when I heard that and got home, you know, being a military artifact historian, I was was just so frightened that this material would be lost. And I talked to Lee and said, we've got to do something. So you guys talked. And I mean, this is a
0: big troop ship. I had no idea that 5,000 people would be on the 600-foot-long ship. I mean, that's as many people are on an aircraft carrier now. But basically, the whole job of this ship was to take people from one place to another, back before we had air travel as the preferred way of moving people left and right. And
1: what happened? Well, the ship was used for that purpose, but during Vietnam... In 1966, 1965, things were starting to heat up there. And in 1966, a decision was made by the Department of Defense that they wanted to get complete units over at one time. Instead of flying, like Marines were being flown in in aircraft that could carry about 121 men, 120 men, 125 men. Army troops were going that way. But the buildup was beginning. Things were starting to really heat up. So they activated this this ship, the General Nelson Walker, and a number of, of her sister ships. There were 19 of these ships that were built near the end of World War II. And so a good number of these were put into service for Vietnam. And so just to get complete units over, a cavalry troop of 1,200 men could land at Da Nang or any of the other uh, ports and could disembark and be put into action quickly. So you guys are exploring the ship. You're looking around and
0: you find all this graffiti. And I'm I'm not at all surprised that there's graffiti all over the ship. But what kind of graffiti was it? Now, these are young men and generally just young men, uh, I guess at the time. And they're going over to Vietnam. Are they hopeful messages? Are they anti-war messages? I guess this was uh, before the Vietnam protest really started.
2: Uh, no, the protests were uh, underway at this point as well. But many of the messages and the most common theme that we find, would find on the canvases were hometowns of the, of the men who were lying underneath the canvas above them. They would write their name of their hometown. Um, that was how we were able then to find some of the men uh, later in our research and be able to interview them.
1: You know, they would write about uh, things like muscle cars. Muscle cars were big in that period. So you'd have one man writing about a Ford muscle car. And during the next voyage, somebody would see that who was a Chevy guy. And he would start putting the name of the Chevy that he had back home, but wasn't able to use it anymore. So we were finding things like that. We found drawings of women, lots of women. You know, these were young kids and they thought about women, uh, girlfriends. Some of them were, were married and they would leave uh, messages for their wife, you know, with with really um, meaningful thoughts about hope I will return. And that's what really, you know, it was a story of humanity, of, of, of life and death, not knowing if you were going to be coming, be able to come home again. But they wanted to leave a record of themselves, not realizing that 30 years later, somebody would ever see this. Those messages they left were only left for the next person on the next voyage using that bunk to see what was written above him.
0: So I was looking at some of the pictures, and these are like eight-person beds, like starting at the very bottom and then three racks above them. So there is not a lot of personal space. Not a lot of other people will be inspecting these things, like in a traditional military environment. Just the person that's laying there on the bed looking up will see their graffiti and will either look at it or comment uh, with their own story, their own backgrounds.
1: That's exactly what they would do. They would add things to it. Now, bear in mind, it was against regulations to deface pieces of government property. And when every troop entered that ship, he was given a sheet that had all the regulations. And when we we found the sheets aboard the ship as well, the troop regulations. And that was one of the questions we would ask them when we found the men who left Graffiti. It was against regulations. And remember, there's a brig on the ship. Every voyage, if somebody got into a fight and there was a problem, somebody more than likely wound up in the brig on the ship and maybe for a day or two on bread and water. And they would be taken away from the troop compartment and they would be housed in this small brig that had about, I would say, about 20, 15 to 20 racks or bunks and with a locked door. No glass mirror. They they did shave, but it was a polished steel uh, aluminum plate because they were afraid somebody might break the glass and try to use that to harm themselves or harm somebody else. So when we found the men who did the graffiti, we would say, why did you do it? It was against regulations. And by and large, we always had the same comeback. What were they going to do? Send me to Vietnam (laughs) <laughs> that sounds like a a very
0: appropriate response, so I'm curious were these people that were regular army that had enlisted or were they uh draftees do you know
1: it was a, it was a combination of uh, both the um uh w- we did find um most of them i guess most of them were draftees some of the voyage vo- uh, voyages had um warrant officers on it who who became who were helicopter pilots. Now these are the guys who who joined because they wanted to fly. Uh, and uh, so they were they were being taken to Vietnam to service as pilots. Uh, so so they weren't they weren't draftees, but there were a good number of draftees on the ship. The marine units uh, had uh, enlistments and draftees. I have to say, you know, I was in the marines in the marine reserves. And uh, we found compartments that were totally void of graffiti. And I'm told that, that those were <laughs> compartments that the Marines lived in. <laughs> so they I don't probably know. The- were
0: inspected a little more than the Army troops, I would imagine. Well, that's just what we surmise. Oh, that's a very interesting observation. So you guys go and find this ship. You're doing something else and you decide we need to save this history. We need to be able to share the messages of these young men that are drafted into the military, being sent off to Vietnam. And they, they're telling a story. And I'm sure there's lots of different stories. Some are scared. Some are hopeful. Some are just uh, very anxious, want to go back home. So you want to save these messages. How did you do so?
1: Well, at first, uh, when I got home and talked to Lee and, and told her what uh, was there, I, you know, and I said, we need to do something to try and save this. So we came up a, with a plan that we would volunteer with uh, just she and I at, at first and contacted the Maritime Administration at the James River Reserve Fleet and just say, look, uh, I knew the museum curators at the Army, the Navy, the Marine Corps, Smithsonian, Library of Congress, and I said, "What if we volunteered to come out, pull canvases? Would you, with a guide? You, you, you would send a guide out with us. We'll pull canvases. We'll sign them out on a property transfer form, and then we'll take them to the appropriate museum." And let the curators look at them and let them pick what they want. And when I called the superintendent, he said, "You know what? I'm a Vietnam veteran. When do you want to start?"
0: <laughs> oh, that sounds—that's very nice that you had someone that was uh, very amenable to this entire project. Because sometimes dealing with a bureaucracy can be a significant challenge. So he
1: said you could start now, yes, sitting we'll at the James River, right? This is the James River Reserve fleet, and uh, you know the, sh- the ship is so so big and only part of it still had its lights on and the reason by the way, everything was still on it was because it, this particular ship was being kept in a state of ready reserve. in other words, if they were if they were saving it for uh, if a hurricane happened off the uh, east Coast somewhere, they could get it activated. Within 30 days, bring it offshore and 5,000 people could live on it. They had the racks. They had a galley there. All the, um, you know, the, the well, the bathrooms were there, uh, all open, of course, you know, just as a typical troop transport, but they could, it, it could function. So the, the machinery, the mechanical plant could be put into order in 30 days. And so everything was still kept on the ship. The canvases, the pillows, the the, the the sheets, usually when the ship is laid up there, they strip the ship bare. And it's only the uh, basic uh, uh, ship itself with nothing in it. But this ship was totally filled with everything. It was a time capsule. We were finding newspapers under the sheets, candy bar wrappers, chewing gum uh, packages, cigarette packages, uh, paperback books, everything left by the last participants on the last voyage.
0: It must've been a real shock to walk in and, and see these things as it's ready to go, but it's been sitting there for 30 plus years and it's just like it was when it was put up into the James River, uh, facility.
2: It was actually a very eerie feeling because, um, the outside of the ship was rusted and, um, uh, looked in great disrepair. But then once the door was open to enter the ship, it was as though the men had just left the ship. That's how everything was left. And it was as though they were expected back. Um, We found dirty dishes in the galley, in the sink. We found papers on some of the desks. Um, It was, as I say, a very eerie, strange feeling to walk into that time capsule.
0: So it's like everybody was there and all of a sudden, poof, everybody was gone. And it's just been sitting there. Now, I did want to get on the radio because we're we're talking to the folks. You were able to go find some of the troops that were on the ship and had written some of the graffiti.
1: That's exactly right. And Lee was responsible for that. Um, we would have the canvases and every time we... Had a canvas and uh, canvas and distributed it somewhere. We photographed it and we had the names and the hometown. So here's what we did.
2: So the internet was the greatest tool to find these people that had been on the ship, the men who had been aboard, because either they were still many times in back returned home to their hometown, or family members were still there, and we were able to contact either them directly or the family member and um, speak to them and interview them directly.
0: So can you tell me a little bit about the exhibit? I know it's coming to an end, but you guys got it started. And I know Lee, you were super involved in getting the exhibit going. Like how many
1: places has it been? It's been to uh, over 70 uh, venues throughout the United States and has been to uh, almost uh, 40 states, in, and it, its run has lasted thus far 15 years.
2: And and we have made it a, um, a very family-friendly exhibit, um, and it's many times a very healing situation for the men to return and come to see the exhibit because sometimes they are fearful of memories Le- they left behind in Vietnam, but aboard the ship, they were still the young men that were just uh, on a basically two week cruise to Vietnam at that point, sometimes three weeks, up to three weeks. And uh, they were young, young boys looking to entertain themselves and um, uh, just relax and have a good time as As they approached Vietnam, that's when they realized they were headed into the war zone.